0: Seeing the unseen. The topic for today is the devil made me do it. A few questions to get us into uh, just thinking. What do you think Satan wants you to do this week? Just pause for a moment. Think about it. What does Satan want you to do this week? What did he try to get you to do last week? Yeah, each one of us would have something different. What is your weakness that makes you sin? That's, this is personal. Yeah, only you know this. This is deep in your mind. You know what that is. And then, lastly, how do you feel about this statement? Do you think this is true in your life? Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you intended to pay, and keep you longer than you intended to stay. If you have in your life ever committed sin, maybe a specific sin that you can remember, I want to ask you: Was it worth it? Were you promised more to get out of it than what you actually get, got out of it? Because I think that's what Satan does. He makes these promises. Hey, if you do this, it's going to be incredible, and it's going to be worth it. And then you do it, and you realize, well, ah, it wasn't really that worth it. It wasn't that that good. I think we sort of said last week that Satan is big, and he's bad, and he's mad. And where is he? Right here. Here and what makes it even harder for us to come to grips with is that he is ruling he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air he's the god of this world and his time is short when peter the great apostle when he decided he needs to say something about satan which animal is he going he asked himself which animal am i going to use to describe the activity of satan he didn't choose a snake He didn't choose the vision that John had in Revelation of a dragon. When he scoured planet Earth and he thought about an animal to use to illustrate what Satan does, which animal did he use? He used the lion. He used this text. 1 Peter 5 eight. Be sober and vigilant because your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking around looking for someone to devour. So that's the verse that Paul had, oh Peter had in his mind. So the text says, be watchful and be awake. So um, about five years ago, I decided to take some, a bunch of teenagers to a, uh, a nature reserve, a game reserve. It's called Pilansburg and it's, it's, it's one of the most beautiful places in South Africa. And so i got a car full of teenagers, like 12, 13, 14, and I think the oldest might have been 17. And so we're driving along this beautiful place and looking at the animals, the hippos and whatever, and, and we, we see a tortoise in the road. Now, I, I haven't figured this out. Is the turtle the one that swims? Yes. Okay. So this was a tortoise, African tortoise. Nice, big one. We see it next to the road. And one of the kids, 12 year old kid, he says, hey, can I please see it and and, and touch it? I was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. So he climbs out of the car. He picks it up. You know, the first thing that a tortoise does, right? It wheezes on you. Anyways, so he had his wheeing experience there. and, And he looked at this thing and put it back down again, he wanted to take it home, luckily it didn't, anyway, so, so then we get into the car, we drive, we get to an outlook point, we can look out over like an area where there's like like water, and, and we park the car, oh, oh, I forgot to take, so, so, so he put down the tortoise, guess what I do, this is what, this is me, this is my personality, I drive away, so he He's parking there with a tortoise and he's running off to the car and he gets to the car and then I take off again. And it's like, and we're all of us in the car, we're just having fun. This kid is like running. He's running in the field, running off to this car. So eventually we, we pick him up and, and we go to this outlook point and we stop there and we look at things and I get back. And there's a ranger vehicle that came in behind my car and parked me in, like bumper to bumper. I couldn't go anywhere. And the ranger is like standing against his car like that. Just tapping his foot. These guys, they saw us when we stopped with the, the, the tortoise. And they looked <laughs> through the monoculus, looking at this guy picking up a tortoise. And so first of all, he said, hey, can I please just check your car quickly? Because I, we think you stole a tortoise. Luckily, we didn't, because then we would have been in, in, in trouble. And listen to what he says to me. Listen to what he says to me next. He says, sir, do you know there are lions in this reserve? I honestly didn't know that there were lions in the reserve. I drop off a 12-year kid in the middle of the field where the lions roam, and I r- drive away from him. And the last thing that you do with a lion is you run. You don't run with a lion because that activates a cat's mind. Can you imagine the news article? The preacher of the church takes the kids to Pilonsburg Nature Reserve. One of the kids get eaten by a lion because the preacher drove away from him. Can you imagine, thank the Lord of heaven, in that specific piece of area, there were no lions. The text says you've got to be sober and vigilant if you walk in the field and there's a lion. There there was an an article, I think it was in 2018, in South Africa, we've got a big problem. I don't know if you've heard about this, but the, uh, the poaching of rhinos. The the East, the Chinese, want rhino horns because they make certain medications of it and they make a lot of money. And so in South Africa, we've got a big problem with people poaching lions. And they came across, so so they, 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 they trained men to guard these rhinos. And they tried to the best of their ability to do that. And these guys, one morning, they come across a scene where they found like three pairs of shoes, a pelvis bone, and a themer here and there, and they come to realize that lions had eaten three guys who were poachers. These poachers came into the reserve to kill rhinos, but then were eaten by lions. And I I, I asked myself the question, you can go research it. I asked myself the question, if I'm walking in the field, how would I walk if I know that there are lions? Can you imagine? You'd want to stand still, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to go anywhere because any movement, you, you, you'd look around the whole time. There's a movie called Ghost in the Darkness. You've got to go check that out. It's an incredible movie about the most vicious lions in, in Africa. Anyways, the text says, be sober and vigilant. Like there's a lion around. Right? Be, you'd, be, you'd, be look, you'd be wide awake if there's a lion around. And he says that we need to do this spiritually. And then he says, because your enemy... Remember, we said this last week. Satan is not God's enemy. Satan is nothing to God. Okay, it's not like there's a duel between Spider Man and the, and the eight legged octopus guy. That's, it's not the same thing. Okay? God doesn't even deal with Satan like as, as an enemy. He just sends Michael the archangel and says, go sort him out quickly. That's how it operates. And so we need to understand Satan is not God's enemy. He's your enemy. He's my enemy. How do we know we're his enemy? Well, remember Revelation chapter 12. Verse 17, it says the following, um, he's waging war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Those who obey Jesus and preach his gospel, those are the people that Satan's enemy. And then the text says, he, um, he's a roaring lion. And so I went on the um, National Geographic and I Googled, uh, asked them quickly, like, why do lions roar? I'd like to understand. Why do lions roar? And and they basically came up with, I forgot to sort of put this in there. They said to signal territory, territoriality. In other words, when a lion roars, he's letting everybody know this is my domain. I'm the king of the jungle. This is my land. I rule here. And now put this into a spiritual context. We already know that Satan is what? The ruler of what? The kingdom of the air. He's the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. So Peter is giving us here a spiritual example of how Satan views this domain. This is mine. Secondly, to locate distant pride members. So when Lion roars, he wants to know, hey, where's all the girls? Where's all my servants that do the hunting for me? Where, where, where are you guys? And he calls them in. Put that into a spiritual context. You have this being, this cherub, this powerful angelic being, Satan. And he roars like a lion. He calls his network of demons together. So he signals his territory. And he calls his demons in. His network. And then the text says he's walking and he's seeking. And so he keeps his eye open and he's on the lookout the whole time. I asked the question, how do lions hunt? They stalk. You've you've seen it on TV. You've seen what cats do. You've got a cat at home. You know how they do it. They go like soft, and they've got these soft paws. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't hear Satan when he comes. They are soft. And so they're stalking. And usually what, what they would do is you'd have all of these females. The females would usually do most of the hunting. We could say that's sort of Satan's little demons. No offense, females. You, you just yeah. So so these lions would then stalk the prey, and the prey wouldn't even know that they were there, and they would bounce and kill. That's one of the ways they hunt. Another way they hunt is that they would surround an animal. Just come out straight. Hey, we lions, and we're going to eat you. Yeah, here we are. They'd surround a buffalo. There'd be like ten female lions. They would come and they would attack that that animal. And then what happens next is the male comes in. He eats once the demons have killed. Once the females have killed. And I think that there's tremendous value in this description that Peter is trying to give to us. At this moment, think about it. At this moment, demons might be stalking you. At this moment, they are slowly but surely coming closer, waiting for the kill. Or it might be the opposite. That you might be surrounded by really bad people. And bad situations. And these, you can feel the presence of evil in your life. You've been surrounded by evil. The attack is imminent. Then the text says, devour. The lion wants to do what? He wants to devour. And the Greek basically means there that he wants to swallow up. He wants to gulp you in. He wants all of you. I'm reminded of Ananias. And when Peter says to him, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? He wants all of you. His goal is to have all of you. Um, He also, he he doesn't like lukewarm, by the way. Um, And so... Peter gives metaphorical language of Satan's activities. But the question still then develops, but how does, how does, how does that practically work out? How does, how does Satan work in my life? I want us to remember what Satan wants. He wants us to sin. That's essentially what he wants. He cannot destroy us. He does not have authority to destroy us. But if he can get us to sin then God will destroy us. God is hurt. Satan wants us to be overwhelmed in sin, swallowed up in sin. He wants us to do his will. And so how does he do that? How does Satan get us to sin? Does he force us? Look at Eve. Do you remember what she said. The devil made me do it. It's a snake. And what did the the man say? What's the woman you put here with me? And so this is an age-old idea that many people believe in. Well, it's not me doing it. It's Satan doing it. I've been forced to do this. And and you might say, well, um, okay, uh, that doesn't really happen today. Look at these articles. Look at this. I look at some articles. Meet the serial killer who took his orders from a demon dog. Have you heard about this serial killer? I can't remember what his name was. But this this was in New York. He killed a number of people. And in the court case, you know what he said? This was his defense. Well, it was a demon dog that told me to do these things. So it's not me. Actually, people use this as a legitimate way to get away from responsibility. Absolutely. Now, you might say, well, that was a long time ago. Here's one. 2012. Defendant claims demon made him murder his girlfriend. Another one. This was in 2018. Uh, Kansas BTK serial killer Dennis Rader said a demon within me made him murder. It's not me; it's the devil. Colorado Springs man says he was possessed by demon, and he killed his mother. This was last year. You see how often this happens. Parkland school shooter: a demon made me do it. It wasn't me; it was the devil. And so the question that we want to ask this morning is, how does this work? Does Satan force us to do things? Or do we do it? And if we do it, then what role does Satan play in this whole story? Can we blame him for anything? Or is all the blame on on us? What power does he have? Now, in order to answer this, let's just read some scriptures quickly. Let's do it together here. Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you as we. We see what he desires, right? First Corinthians 21 verse 1, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Can you see sort of Satan's character developing? He desires and he incites. What about 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. So he blinds. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. The, the Another translation says, had put it in his heart. Satan can put stuff into our hearts. That's John 13 and verse 2. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So what can Satan do? He can actually enter you. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 2. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at Work in those who are disobedient. He can work in you. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Acts 5 3. And so he can fill your heart. And then maybe a last one, 2 Timothy 2 26. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And So Satan can take you captive. Sorry, there's a last one um, that we'll look at. And then should not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 year, long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And so you see, Satan can bind you as well. Now, let's look at this sort of sequence here. And I'm, I'm suggesting the sequence. I'm not saying this is how it is, but this is very well how it could be. Satan desires you. That's where it all starts. He wants you. He desires you. We're going to look at the text now. And then he seduces you. That's seduction, right? And then, once you fall for the seduction, He blinds you. And when you are blind, now He's got you in the head. Then He moves into your heart. And He puts ideas into your heart. Through what? Through your mind. Because now you're blind. You can't see. And then, He enters you. And once He's inside of you, then He works in you. And once He works in you, then He fills you. He fills your heart. At that point, He's taken you captive. And then you are bound to him. Then you are possessed. And so, you don't, it, it's not like there are a bunch of demons around us. And they can just say, hey, I'm going to climb into rod quickly. And he can do nothing about it. That's not how it works. Do you see the process? It starts with his desire. And then he seduces. And then he, he blinds you. And he puts some stuff into your heart. And then he, he enters you. And then he works in you. And then he fills your heart. And then he takes you captive. And only then you are possessed. When people are overwhelmed in drugs and they can't make their own decisions, blah, blah, blah. You've seen the worst type of people. And I think there's a lot of that here in our country. It's not like they've been c- taken captive by a demon just overnight. No, those people made decisions. Sometime in the past, they fell for the seduction. They allowed their minds to be blinded. And now, through this gradual process of being taken over by the works of Satan, they end up being. Really in a mess, and there's a lot of that, unfortunately, especially in our state. And yesterday, you know, us, we were driving in in Eugene. Goodness gracious, Eugene is a strange place. There's some weird people in this world, eh? So weird people in this in this joint. Um, But Eugene, you know, around every corner, you have this evil feeling. I I don't want to curse the town, but we were in like the university side, and. And there's like there's a tent here and a tent there and a, and a student frat house or what do you call it and you know and, and you can see in the kids and and we and and so we Google for a for a place where we can play some um, bowling, and it takes us to this place where we park the car and it's dirty and we go in and it's dark and it's a pub, it's like a pub and it's got all these games for kids. There, were, there was no temper temp bowling and and then there's a bunch of pool tables and I'm like. And I see the kids, and I'm like, is this a place for kids? It's like dark, it's dirty, there's just this massive bar, and the kids can, is there an age restriction for alcohol? And I couldn't understand, I was trying to understand how this works, and and so you have this evil feeling as you drive around there. And then I see like on every single corner, basically, there's a marijuana shop i like, uh, this is now open and cool and great, and, and even people in our town, and, and most people in Oregon would probably say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what we call that 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 um, substance in Africa? We call it the, the gateway drug. So one guy told me, that's the thing that numbs your soul. Weed. It's now being sold openly, publicly, like a, just a commodity for all of us to use. And so we have this issue of, there's the substance that is legal and that everybody uses that actually numbs your soul. You wonder why things are going pear-shaped. It's crazy. The Greek word, by the way, for witchcraft is pharmakeia. Remember that? Where we get the word pharmacy from. This is a big problem. Now, this, this sequence of events, um, You know, I don't want to talk about all of them today. I just want to focus on two things quickly and then, then I'll go sit down. And it's the first two. It's the desire and the seduction. Because those are the two areas that matter the most. Wouldn't you agree? If we can, if we can sort of deal with those two, we can limit Satan having an entry into our lives. Let's, let's talk about it. The desire of Satan. I said I'm almost finished and now the ladies are getting to prepare the food. Good woman. Well done. We want to eat meat. Yes. Yes. But for the rest, maybe I shouldn't have said it's nearing the end because I'm probably halfway now. So to the rest of you, just hang in there. Let's talk about the desire of Satan quickly. As we see in the book of Job, what does Satan do? He moves back and forth throughout the earth. What is he looking for, ladies and gentlemen? He's looking for an individual. He's looking for people. He was looking for people like Job. He's looking for the strong influences. He's looking for those who are standing up for Christ and in the new testament who was satan looking for satan was looking for peter now when he finds someone he wants to take that person for himself take him over right he wants to he wants to get to that point where he binds him now look at this text luke 22:31 Simon Simon satan has asked to sift you as wheat this is jesus talking to peter Picture this. This is like this is like the same story as Job. It's like Jesus knows something that happened in heaven or that happened between God and Satan. And he says, hey, Peter, I want to tell you something, man. Satan, he's asked who? He's asked God if he can sift you. Sweet. So Satan has been roaming through the earth and he's identified you. What an honor. Right? You need to be happy. You're a threat to his kingdom. But listen to this. But I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, there's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. But do, do you get this now? I looked at the Greek words here quickly. Excite you my. That's the word therefore has asked. That's the word for desire. Some translation says Satan desires to have you. This is what it means. To ask or beg for oneself. To ask that one be given up to one from the power of another. Do you get this? God, this this is what happens. Satan goes to God and says, I beg you for Peter. Please give him to me and let me have him for me. Let me control him. Let me have power over him. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you a lot of things. Number one, God has power over him. And he needs to ask to do anything to us. Let that sink in. Satan has to ask God to touch you. Isn't that cool? That's really incredible. And so when Satan does knock on your door, he's like, God, dude, why did you give him permission? The second word I want to talk about is sineazzo. That's the word sift. To shake someone by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. This is what he's asking for. So Satan goes to God and he says, Lord, Please allow me to have some power over him, to do some stuff to him, so that he can be agitated in his soul, and hopefully his faith can be overthrown. That's what I want. Give me power over this guy, so I can ruin his faith. What do you think God said? In this instance. He said, yes. Because, how do we know that? Because, what, what does Jesus say? But I've prayed for you. It might, might be that God did not say yes, and it might be that God was still deciding. But if you read the story, it's probably likely that's what happened. any case, Jesus prayed. What did he pray about? What do you think? This is important. Because what do we do? We say, well, I'm going to pray for you, brother. What do you pray for? When somebody's in temptation and sin and struggling, what do you pray for? Lord, help this person to make the right decision. But are you con- God's not going to control these decisions. God doesn't control your free will. That's why you have free will. So what do we pray? This is extremely important. What do we pray for people when they are stuck in sin or when they're being tempted by, by, by the evil one? We're going to get back to that. I'll leave that for you. Okay, so let's look at the second thing. And this is going to give us sort of the answer. Let's look at the seduction of Satan, the seduction. When I say seduction, I also mean temptation and incitation. Satan finds targets, and then he asks God's permission to tempt those targets. And God says, yes, or he says no. But God always seems to lay out the conditions. If you've read the book of Job, you remember. Yeah, do this, but don't touch his body. Yeah, do this, but don't touch his, you know, um, Livelihood. So, so he puts restraints on what Satan can and cannot do. That's what God does. Now this makes sense in relation to Jesus and Peter's conversation. And it's neatly explained in this verse. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God, listen to this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. How does he do that? He restrains Satan. Yes, go tempt him, but up to this point. I'm going to control you there and stop you there. I'll block you there. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What do we pray for people stuck in sin, ladies and gentlemen? What do we pray for people who are tempted? Father, please, please, please extend your protection as my brother is being tempted. Please don't let it be too overbearing. So that he cannot say no. Father, you control Satan. Please, keep a leash on Satan. That's what we pray. That's what I think we should pray. In my estimation. God lets Satan attack us, tempt us. God sets um, these limits on Satan. To, uh, and, and, and give him permission to tempt us to a certain extent. We are once again talking about the usefulness of Satan. Remember, we asked this question, but why does God give Satan power? It's because of this. He uses him. Here's a shocking piece of scripture for you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you get that? The Spirit. Well, so, so God is saying, hey, um, Jesus, come. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you to, to the devil. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that potentially the reason why you're going through temptation and a difficult, evil time is because God put you there? He wants you there. He wants to see what you're made of. So he puts you in the friendship circle with Satan for a specific purpose. Which we don't always know uh, exactly what it is. Now there's this um, difficult passage in the, the Old Testament that people will throw at you and say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. <clears throat> and I want you to read with me carefully and let's be try and be theological geniuses here this morning first chronicles 21 verse 1 satan rose up against israel and incited david to take a census of israel so david said to joab and the commanders of the troops go and count the israelites from beersheba to dan then report back to me so that i may know how many there are who did this who incited david satan now those of you who know the Bible will know that Chronicles, sections of Chronicles and sections of Samuel, Second Samuel, is the same story. Just written by, by, by different uh, characters. Same story. Now, here's the same story in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. The one translation says... Satan does the inciting. The other translation in Samuel says, God does it. How do you feel about that? Everybody's quiet. Oh. There must be some Hebrew error. Now, I believe it was placed in the text like this for a reason. And if we link all of these verses together that I'm talking about, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, right, that we just read, the Spirit led Jesus into the situation where he was tempted. It seems like there's this partnership between God and Satan. If you look at the story of Job, there's a partnership between God and Satan. And so I don't think this is, because they are both true. God gave Satan permission to incite David. Are you with me? And so all I want us to see is that God and Satan, they work together. They've got this this sort of partnership, and the focus is on us. I'm not saying they're friends. Remember, Satan is our enemy, but God uses him, puts restraints on him, controls him, and allows him to do certain things at certain times. This is not a biblical contradiction. If you read the whole Bible through, it's actually telling us something very true. This is perhaps one of the most um, funniest, um, well, not this one, the next one that is coming up after this. So the question then becomes, how does he seduce us? (laughs) James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are, listen, dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So how does this work? How does Satan operate? He looks for what? He looks for my desires, my weaknesses, and he uses that to lure me into sin. One of the um, most beautiful examples for me is this one. This is one of the funniest verses in the Bible for me. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh! I would also be hungry. 40 days no eating. I'll go four hours without eating. I w- want to die. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Bread is insignificant. Why do you think Satan came to him with bread? Because he was hungry. That's how Satan works. You will never in this life be able to tempt me with avocado or beans or liver. Or liver you will be able to tempt me with chocolate. And so we each have our preferences and the things that we like, and Satan knows that as well. When you are hungry, he tempts you to steal. When you are sexually deprived, he tempts you with the women in the office. When you are in debt, he tempts you with dishonest business dealings. And when you battle with jealousy, he places perceived to be better people in your face. So in order to beat him you need to know your weakness better than him. You need to know your weakness better than him. He is a prime example in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul so well understood. He's talking about the marriage and he says and he's talking about sexuality, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent. In other words, don't stay away from each other physically. Don't prevent intercourse, okay? But if you do, decide for a time not to do so, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again. Quickly, come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because when you are not having intercourse with your wife, guess what happens? You become an easier victim for Satan. Because you're developing a need. And by the way, this is so often happening uh, in relationships is that you have husband and wife. Uh, the wife's upset with the husband. And so she says, well, one of the ways I'm going to punish you is I'm, I'm going to keep my body away from you. You will not have sex. But what she, what she doesn't know is she is making her husband a prime victim for other women. And Satan knows that. And like three years down the road, they get divorced. Yo, well, you're a cheater. Okay, okay. You are. You're guilty. You fell for the temptation. But you sure didn't help him. You made it worse for him. Because you took away a need that he needed. And Satan identified that. And this is, many marriages break down because of this. And so we can use this as an example. And each one of us is something different. But you've got you to gotta sort of know your weakness. All right. A few quotes, free cheese is always available in mousetraps. It is easier to avoid temptation than resist it. This is important. Maybe we're not strong enough. Like I always say to teenagers, like, like you're dating this new girl, don't go to her house alone. Rather avoid the situation because you're going to do something that you're not supposed to be doing. Rather just don't go. It's easier to do that. Opportunity may knock only once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. It's not going to go away. It will be there till you die. So the sooner you deal with your weaknesses and become strong in them, the better for you. Most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like it to keep in touch. Because the temptation is in those areas that we like. We don't really want it to go. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has deliberately been left open. I want to ask you this morning to think about what your door is. None are known to be good till they have opportunity to be bad. You've got to go think about that quote for a while. Temptation is not a sin. It is a call to battle. That's what it is. So let me bring it in. Make application. The devil didn't make us do it, but he certainly helped. Satan, Adam, and Eve were punished in the garden because they were all guilty. Satan tempts us in such a way, and God allows him to do it in such a way, that in the end, when we have sinned, we are perfectly guilty. If we sin, we have had an opportunity to get out of it, but still did it. We can't blame the devil. Blame your desires. Blame your own weakness. Blame your own choices. Secondly, if Satan was given free reign, we would all be doomed. Listen carefully. If Satan was not controlled by God... And he could run around freely and do to us what he wanted to, we would be terribly lost in sin. Let that sink in. If God did not put restraints on him, if if you and I, if you were faced with Satan right now, and he could do what he wants, I guarantee you you would sin. Because he's way more intelligent, way more powerful. We don't stand a chance against Satan if he tempted us to his full extent and power. No ways. It's like you have, a, you have a bunch of sheep with a wolf. It's, the sheep will never beat the wolf. Why emphasize this? Listen carefully. Because of the grace of God. The grace of God. If God did not keep Satan away from you, you would have been at a different place today. Satan has been restricted and stopped many times from overwhelming you with temptation. You see, the devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes as everything you've ever wished for. He has been on the planet for 6,500 years. How many people do you think he has destroyed spiritually in that time? He's not omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent, but he is way more powerful than you or me. You cannot take the devil on. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him. For slander, but say, the Lord rebuke you. It's the funniest thing in the world when people in churches, preachers say, I rebuke you, Satan. What? Who are you? This guy will eat you up alive and spit you out. So we've got to tread carefully. We are dependent on God for protection against Satan. I'll say that again. We are dependent on God for protection against Satan. And there's no verse that better illustrates it than Romans 16 verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You cannot crush him. God does it. And lastly, good news, Satan probably doesn't even know you. Although he doesn't know you, some evil spirits do. You have personal attention in the unseen realm, whether you like it or not. (coughs) How many demons are watching you every day? It could be one. It could be seven. Or it could even be 6,000. As we see that young man who was living in the tombs had a legion inside of him. I want to tell you this morning, don't be scared about them. Don't fret. We know that demons shudder, don't we? Those 6,000 demons, that guy that came from the tombs, you know what he did? He bowed down in front of Jesus. And if you look at the spiritual realm, if we could put on our spiritual glasses, what did that look like? 6,000 demons bow down in front of Jesus. That's the Jesus that lives inside of us. There was a story in the book of Acts where a bunch of guys go around, the seven sons of Siva, you remember that? And they go and drive out demons. And they go into this house. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we tell you to come out of this guy. You know what he answered? Jesus I know, This is what the demon answered. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? I get goosebumps thinking about it. The Bible says, he then went and he beat all seven of them and chased them out of the house naked. How embarrassing is that? I want to ask you a question. What would you answer to this question? If you had this conversation with a demon, and the demon said to you, Jesus, I know, And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? What is he trying to say? You guys are trying to use Jesus, but you don't know him. You guys are trying to claim his name, but he doesn't live inside of you. I want to ask you this morning very deeply. Is Jesus really in you? Because if he's not, let me tell you this. You don't stand a chance against the demon world. Is Jesus on your lips and is he the Lord of your life? Because if he's not... You don't have a protective dome of the kingdom of heaven over your life. The Bible tells us how to do this. You have to repent of your sin. You have to be baptized. And then he says, the God of heaven will come and live inside of you through his spirit. Then Jesus is in you. Think about it this morning. Is Jesus in you? If you're battling with demons in your life, you've got to go back to the beginning and ask the question, where do I stand with this? Do the demons fear me? Or do they think they can just do what they want around me? The larger the presence of Christ in your life, the more the demons will shudder. Let's stand and think about this as we sing the closing song here this morning.